Shabbat shalom, everyone. Well, we are going to be continuing to look at this concept, if you will, of dreamers. And uh, if you remember, uh, you know, last week we looked at this, but the writer, Jude, is not utilizing this term in the context of the secular world. It's not what he's doing. Unfortunately, his version is much scarier than that. He's utilizing this term explicitly in the context of professing Christians, believers in Jesus, Yeshua. This is how he's using it. Specific professing believers who, according to him, are turning the grace of God into lewdness, who, as Irenaeus would say, are exaggerating the mercy or grace of God, or as the writer of Hebrews would say, they're insulting the spirit of grace. See, these are men and women that what they do is they they go to the word like Marcion, and they grab the things that they like. They'll take those things out of there, and they'll create a brand new world of faith that they want to live in from the imaginations of their own heart. And what's interesting is they don't even realize what they're doing. Is they're, Yes, there are certain principles in Scripture. Yeah, I like that. And, and really where they're going with this is I'm willing to do that. I am unwilling to do ABC, some cases all the way through XYZ. I'm, I'm unwilling to even consider looking at the Torah, the, the Word of God, as applicable to me. I'm not even going to consider dietary laws. I'm not going to consider all of these things. And again, we talk about Hosea chapter 8, that I've written for them great things in my Torah, but they were considered a strange thing. And see, they leave the stuff they think is silly. They leave the stuff that may hit home too hard. They leave the stuff that requires them to change. And so what they do is they bring the stuff that they want to, they create this world of faith, and in doing so, they create a brand new Jesus A Jesus that they're willing to follow when in fact they're not willing to follow the true Christ who sits at the right hand of God. The one who came in Matthew 5 and said, don't think that I came to destroy the law and the prophets. The one who came in Matthew 7 and said, the ones that he is going to destroy and cast out of his kingdom are those who abandon the law. They wouldn't hear his counsel. They wouldn't hear it. This is is a dreamer. Well, last week we began to look, Jude brings three specific characteristics of these dreamers to the table. And we covered the first one. And the first one was this. These dreamers defile the flesh. See, these are the ones that defile the temple of God. And we covered this already. But these are the ones that they will look at the food laws. They will look at things like eating food sacrificed to idols as no big deal. You're not going to lose your salvation And yet they're bringing that which is unclean into the temple of God. No consideration for what is holy and what is unholy. And that the temple, which is us, we're supposed to be the indwelling indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is supposed to be within us. No consideration for that. You talk about sexual immorality, we have so many different forms. So many Christians and churches and pastors literally live, I, I cannot, I can't get there, I can't even wrap my head around it, how many pastors are going to the pulpits preaching Jesus, and they're having an adulterous affair. That's insane. They're not just believing, they're okay, they're telling everyone else everything's fine. And, and, and there are people in the congregation just like him, that they're attempting to go to, 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 to spark up their, their life by having an adulterous affair. 
Even being so bold to go, you know what, we're gonna, I'm going to post you know, my little uh, bio on, on websites that they have out there for this debauchery. you got individuals sitting in communities that, oh, I only look at porn a little bit. I can look at it a little bit. That's not, I'm not going to lose my salvation. God is gracious. He loves me. And yet they're living in unrepentant sin. I will never forget, with my own eyes and ears, I witnessed a pastor, this was some years ago, this pastor, and I believe he's still a pastor of the church, pastoring the church, engaged in a homosexual relationship, which I actually believe he called him his husband, and came out and absolutely said that, listen, what I have, no one could convince me otherwise. My relationship with my husband is proof of God's love. Don't you understand? God is love. Now, every one of us can go to scripture and say, it's, it's obvious, God is love. And it goes, what I have for this other man, that could only come from the Holy Spirit. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift of God. And I tell you, that is a dreamer. That is someone who's created another Christ, another Jesus. They've created another gospel. They've created another faith. One that they've gone into belief. See, this is the beauty. This is, this is how important it is that we stay within the guardrails of his word. Because the heart is deceitful above all things desperately wicked. We are not equipped in and of ourselves, in our flesh, to make it through this life. The enemy will chew you up and spit you out. Your flesh will chew you up and spit you out. Well, today we're going to cover the next one on the list, this next characteristic. And that is dreamers... They reject authority. Now, I'm going to tell you right off the bat, this is a massive topic. We're not even going to scratch the surface. We could spend the next four to five months and not even fully encompass the reality of this from a a biblical perspective. But what I am going to do today is I'm going to give you enough so that you can appreciate where Jude is coming from so that you understand what he means by these dreamers that they reject authority. And let me begin by saying... From the moment we come into the world, the moment we enter in, we are confronted with authority. It's inevitable. You look at the family unit. You look at the little children from a young age, even one, two, three. And I think a lot of us have had the experience of, of having children. I'm going to tell you, one of the things that is a struggle for parents, and, and it's a struggle for the children, is establishing who's in authority. One of the first words your kids will say is no. That's it. You know, so mommy comes out and says, you you know what, you need to do this. You know, little two-year-old, you need to do this. No, I don't want to. See, you realize, man, that will, that will of self is existing in a two-year-old. Who would have thought? Confronted with authority. Confronted with it, and, and, and parents have to labor in teaching them authority. If you want to run your house, you know, unless you want a two-year-old running your house, the parents got to lay that down. So even from the moment we come into this world, we're confronted with this. Well, let's continue. There, there's more authority just within the family. We look at, well, actually, let me, before I get ahead of myself, let's go to Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Now, for, you know, teenage years, this is, a, this is a good time to listen up right here. If you're a teenager, do you love your life? 
Would you like to live longer to see more days? You got to understand that this is a principle. This is a godly principle. You do not want to test God on this. You want to submit to your parents. Now, here's the thing, kids. It doesn't matter if you think your parents are worthy of obedience. It doesn't matter if your parents have walked successfully in life or have not walked successfully in life. The commandment still holds. You are not indemnified just because your parents have failed in certain areas of their life. You must honor them. You must submit to their authority. And guess what? This never stops. I'm in my 40s. I will not stop honoring my mother and father, regardless of their behavior, regardless of what they've done. And I'm not alluding to the fact that my parents have done horrible things. I'm not doing that. It doesn't matter. That's not how I determine whether or not I'm going to submit to them and honor them. This is critical. And the commandment is so important that it's talking about life and death now. You want further proof of this? Okay, go to the Torah, right? You go to the Torah and you go to Deuteronomy chapter 21. And what you discover is is that through a situation, hey, if you have a rebellious child, the mother and father are done. You know, and they come out and they say, hey, you know what? My son is a glutton and a drunkard. What happens to him, according to Torah? Stoned. He's killed dead on the spot. Some of your parents are going, oh, I, I don't know if I'd have any children. That is there. Now, in practical application, even as Israel going out, that didn't happen very often, okay? It's there to show you the greater spiritual lesson. Not that there's not a practical, there's a practical lesson. But it's showing you the greater spiritual lesson that, understand something, kids. If you do not submit and obey, it's not just going to cost you problems in this life. And even if your days are shortened here, big deal. Wait till the judgment. This is how important authority is. Now, jumping deeper into this authority structure, it doesn't stop with the kids to the parents, but then we're told that the wife is to submit to her husband, Ephesians 5, so much so that it's to emulate, it's to mirror the very reality of the church submitting to Christ. And again, you can read 1 Peter 3, I didn't put it up here, but even if your husband is not walking with the Lord, see, it doesn't indemnify the wise, well, my husband, he's not walking with the Lord, he's not keeping the faith, we're totally, we're not on the same page, that does not indemnify you from the commandment, from submitting to your husbands. Now, I'm not saying that's easy, but see, it's your godly conduct that is supposed to win him over because you are obeying the Lord. You fear the Lord and you understand what he has established in regard to the structure of authority. I mean, everywhere we look, this authority structure exists. And and guess what? You know, the man is also subject to authority along with the rest of his family to the government. Nobody likes this, especially where we're going right now in these days. But the reality is, you know, Paul says, Romans 13, he says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. In other words, you're a dead man. You do, if you're going to attempt to start resisting the authority... You're coming before God. You're actually, you're, you're, you're disobeying the Lord. Now, let me be clear. 
Because we talk about this and we can go from the children to the parents and from the wife to the husband and the husband to the government. We can look at other. Are there times where you have to say, I'm sorry, we're done here. Now, if, if, if a mom and dad were attempting, and let me get extreme here just for the sake of ease. But if a mom and dad were attempting to, to go to a six-year-old kid who is saved, he's walking with the Lord, he knows better, but his parents decided they got into a satanic ritual cult and they wanted to go sacrifice to demons. And those parents come to them and say, we, we, you're going to come with us and you're going to sacrifice to demons. That is going to be one of, the, one of the extreme situations where I would say, whoa, whoa. That, that, it's such a hair, this, this right here, that line, in a very unusual way just crossed. Christ is living in this little man or this young lady. And they know whom they serve. That would be a situation like mom and dad, that you would go back and you'd say, mom and dad, I love you. And I will do anything, but for you to ask me to betray my God, I can't do that. What say you? I mean, that's when you get in a situation like that. When a wife, if a husband wants to abuse his authority, he wants to abuse his authority, and he's going to attempt to make his wife start to worship demons and to sacrifice the demons or something. I will absolutely come on the scene and say, that's the line. Sorry. Absolutely not. Not going to happen. If the government comes in and starts asking the church and starts telling things to the church like, can't sing to Jesus anymore, not happening. There's a line. You know, Daniel, when Daniel was told he could no longer, similar exact situation. I mean, you want to talk about the spirit of Antichrist. Similar situation, Daniel was told he couldn't pray to his God. You know how Daniel dealt with that? I'm going home praying to my God. Not happening. In fact, I love it. Go read it. He opened the window so that everyone could see. I'm going to show you who I serve. It's pretty awesome. And so, yes, there's discernment that's required. But that's usually not the case. And that's usually not what we need to hear. What we need to hear is submit to the authority. Something that inherently is not in our flesh from the time we're two. And even earlier for some of us, right? We've got one last one I want to take you, and this is the highest order. That's the authority in the church. And the writer of Hebrews says this. He says, remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you. We're not talking about secular authority. We're talking about those in the context of the realm of the body of Christ, whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct. Obey those who rule over you, oh, and be submissive. Doesn't say reject authority. Be submissive, and here's why. They watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So the point here is, is everywhere you look, we are confronted with the structure of authority, and you have a decision. I will either submit or I will resist. I will resist. To help you really understand where Judah's coming from and the point that he wants to drive home, we're going to look at some real-life biblical examples. And see, I love this because when we get into the real-life situations, now I get to see how do these dreamers, how do they tick, how do they think? What do they do? Now I get real-life examples. And I want to begin by taking you, we're going to, we're going to spend a lot of today into the Torah. We're going to go to the book of Exodus. In chapter 2, Moses is coming to his people. 
Now it came to pass in those days when Moshe was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. There is a lot here. Let me begin by saying, I mean, this is kind of cool, not that it applies to what we're talking about right now, but now it came to pass when Moses was grown. You know, it's interesting, Moses is the typology of Yeshua. Yeshua never went out in his ministry till he was, what, full grown. He was 30 years old, according to the Gospel of Luke, and that's interesting because David took the throne at 30. The, the Levitical priests would go in, the, the Levites would go in in the service of the tabernacle at 30 years old. And so here you see Moses, full grown, now he's coming into his ministry. That he went out to his brethren and looked on their burdens. Look at what is said here. Moses is a true shepherd. This is, this is a Pauline mantra of weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. See, when, when, when his people are afflicted, it affects him. He doesn't go, well, at least it's not me. Moses has the heart of a shepherd, a true heart of a leader, and it, it, it tears him up inside. He can't handle it. He is mourning what they're going through. And then it goes on, and he says he saw an Egyptian beating. It's actually afflicting, tormenting his people. So Moses does what? He goes in and takes them out. I need to say something here, and I've talked about this before, but you want to talk about really, really bad commentary, erroneous commentaries that are out there, even at a scholarly level. It's shocking that people will come out and say, Moses was a murderer. He was a murderer. I want to be clear, because this is so central to this story for where we need to go. Moses didn't murder anyone. Listen to me. God delivered him into his hand. Now, we know this from the Torah. Here's what's interesting. As you go to Exodus 21, the Lord says, you know what? No man should strike another man as though to put him to death, because that would be murder. However, if the Lord delivers him into his hand, the Lord will prepare a place for him to flee. Interesting. In that situation, that's exactly what happened to Moses. Moses takes this Egyptian out. He flees to Mount Sinai. Ironically enough, the very place he's going to bring Israel to come into covenant with God. The very place. Well, let me take it a step further. Go to the New Testament in, the, in Acts chapter 7. Stephen's preaching, giving his message. And what does he say? He said that what Moses did, taking the Egyptian out, was a sign. It was a sign that he, God would deliver them by his hand. A miraculous sign. But they didn't understand that. And apparently, a lot of teachers don't today. It's really sad. But this is instrumental as we continue. Verse 13, we read this. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men. Now, hold on. This is not an Egyptian and a Hebrew. This is in-house. These are all the chosen people of God. In other words, think of it today. This is in the church. This situation's in the church. Two Hebrew men were fighting. Oh, and he said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your command companion? Isn't that interesting? Moses comes on the scene. Who does he talk to? Does he talk to the one that wasn't doing wrong? No. He addresses the one that is sinning. He's calling out sin. And that kind of blows my mind as you see this because you go to Romans 3. And what does Paul say? 
In Romans 3, he says, now we know that whatever the law, as in the law of Moses, says, it says to those who are under the law, meaning to those who are condemned, those who are in sin, they're practicing sin. That's when the law speaks to you. Isn't it interesting? Here we have Moshe, who is the personification of the Torah, coming on the scene. Oh, and he's talking to the sinner. He's calling sin out. Well, this is where it gets interesting. In verse 14, the sinner's going to respond to Moses. And we read this. Then he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? In other words, who died and left you in charge, Moses? Are you kidding me? Really? I'm not listening to you. I'm not receiving what you have for me. I'm not going to receive your authority. You're not going to impose your authority upon me. And interesting, notice this comment that follows up. Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Just like a dreamer. Just like a dream. This is what you will see with dreamers. They will distort reality. Moses was not guilty of murder. He was delivered into his hand. It was a sign from God. And yet this guy is practicing what they call ad hominem tactics. Where an ad hominem situation, you see this happen in debates all the time, where someone will come out and say, this is the issue, just like Moses did. You don't respond to the issue. I'm going to try to discredit your character. And that somehow is going to win the argument. This is how they function. This is truly the mind of a dreamer. I want to build on this. I'm going to take you to the book of Numbers. And I'm going to give you one of the best examples we have of a dreamer. In fact, so much so that when Jude is writing this, this is exactly what he's thinking about. And we know this because he's going to mention this guy by name in his little epistle. We're just not there yet. But he will because this is what he's thinking about. And that person is Korah, the Korah Rebellion, number 16. Check this out. Now Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan, or Dathan and Aviram, and the sons of Eliav, and On, the son of Pelet, sons of Reuven, took men. You get that? So you basically have these guys, these three guys going out, Korah and company, going out to take men. And we're told they're not just a couple. And they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. These aren't no namers. Now you need to put this on a shelf because at the end of today's message, we're going to circle back to this. There's something here really important. But moving on, verse 3, we read this. They gathered together against Moshe and Aharon and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves. Too much. Korah and company are coming out and again, basically saying what we just saw that guy said. Who died and left you in charge? Where do you get off exalting yourself in our presence? What are you thinking? Again, listen carefully. The mind, listen to the mind of the dreamer and what's going on. They're flipping this thing upside down. See, these men that have banded together, they think they're doing good. They think they're bringing clarity and reality to the situation. Clearly, Moses is delusional. This guy is, is suffering from a severe case of smarty pants. I'm a know-it-all, I'm a big bossy man, and running around and doing this, we got to take him down. 
We got to bring him down. He's too high. He's too elevated. This is, this is getting out of control. They think they're doing everyone a service in the community. They think they're doing what's right. That's what's so crazy about all this. All the while, they're not recognizing the fact that God gave him authority. Here's the problem. They don't believe it. They don't believe God gave him authority. They don't believe God gave Moses or Aaron authority in addition to Moses. Now, Korah is going to go on to enlighten Moses and Aaron on a very important detail. Perhaps it's something that maybe Moses has overlooked. And so he's going to bring some clarity. And he says this, All the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Mind-blowing. His tactic in coming in. He's he's reminding uh, Moses, with all due respect, look around you. The Lord is with us. We are holy. We are all holy. What are you thinking? Exalt yourself. Now, I, I, I kid you not, I have talked to men who have literally fallen into the spirit of Korah, and this is how they think. I've had men come to me with 1 John. If you've ever read 1 John, he talks about you don't need anyone to teach you. You have the anointing. And they look at that as that there is to be no pastors and there's to be no teachers, and without even realizing, literally coming on and saying, because we're all anointed, we're all holy. And my response, it's, it's hilarious, my response, oh, I've heard that before. I've heard that. It's called in Korah. This is, this is what they think. And so notice these dreamers are not coming out and professing, well, we follow a different God. There's a different God. They're professing, they're in relationship with the one true God of Israel, that he is with them. Our relationship's intact. Stop it, Moses. You're clearly overreacting. And then he goes on and says this, Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? So when Moses heard it, he fell on your face. He fell on his face. As the story goes on, I didn't put a lot of this up here, but as the story goes on, Moses says, all right, tomorrow, fine. We will find out who is his and who is holy. Go get your censers, put the incense in them. Let's see what's going to happen. And what's interesting is Moses responds, oh, You take too much upon yourselves. The very thing that they said to Moses and Aaron, Moses sends it back. You take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. Do you think it's a small thing? Is it a small thing that the Lord would separate the tribe of Levi from the rest of Israel to draw you close to him to serve in the tabernacle? Is that a small thing that you now also seek the priesthood? And then he lays this revelatory bomb. Listen to this. Moses says this, therefore you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. This whole time, Cor and company, they think they're actually bringing clarity to the community, to the situation. In their minds, they think they're helping Moses get out of the state of self-glorification. You're so puffed up and arrogant and lifting yourself up, Moses. They didn't realize They weren't even coming against Moses and Aaron. They were coming against God. That is a completely different perspective. Perspective that we need to pay close attention to. Number 16, 12, we continue. Moshe sent to call Datan and Aviram, the sons of Eliab. But they said, oh, we will not come up. 
We're not listening, Moses. We do not accept your authority. We will not submit to your authority. Because remember, we're all holy. The Lord is among us. Maybe you forgot that. They don't have to listen. And they go on to explain why they don't. It is, is it a small thing? Now, if you remember what I just said, Moses just said this to them. Is it a small thing? Now they, in a very smart aleck way, throw that back in Moses' face and says, is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness that you should keep acting like a prince over us? Really, Moses? Are, are, are you serious? Let's, let's kind of look at your track record, Moses. Not stellar. We were in the land of milk and honey. What did you do? You brought us out of the land of milk and honey into a land of hell. There's no food, there's no water, and now you're going to kill our families. You're going to kill our children. We're done. It's interesting to me, there's a component here, a, a real lesson that what they were experiencing in the world was, was the determining factor of whether or not they were going to listen to him. That scares me to death because how many times have you seen people get confronted with trials and tribulations in this world and fall apart and say, I'm done? And you discover, whoa, where'd the faith go? Frightening. And this is the situation because... Right now, they're in hell. They're in, the, they're in a great and terrible wilderness, exactly what the Torah says. It's a great and terrible wilderness. The Lord will allow them to hunger because he wants to test them. And now they're coming, they're, just, they're done with the authority. You know what? You know, maybe if Moses would say things that they wanted to hear, maybe they'd listen. I mean, you look at this, and this is how people operate in the church today. If they, if they, they, they did, they're going to go to their church, depending upon they hear the things that they want to hear. If their pastor makes them feel good, well, we'll come back. You say something offensive, something that gets too close to home, you try changing me in any way, I'm not coming back. Seeker, seeker sensitive, seeker friendly, it's insane. It's completely swept over evangelical Christianity. All of this is relevant into that. You know, welcome to the age of the dreamer. I mean, this is where we're at. There's one more thing that I want to circle back on. And that is, when we began this, we, we, we looked at how Korah, Datan, and Aviram, three men who are completely delusional, these three dreamers, the effect that they had on Israel stuns me. They were able to compel Israel, not just nobodies, not just young children. No, 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 no. They compelled the highest of leaders, the men of renown, the men that are respected. And what did they do? They brought them with them. They brought them over to the side. They had allured them. They had seduced them to thinking in a manner that they thought. Unreal. What do we see happening this is, listen to me. When you have a dreamer in your camp, and pastors, if you're watching right now, listen to me. When there's a dreamer in your camp, one thing I can absolutely guarantee that they're going to do is they will come in and they will divide your community. They will do what Paul warned us of. And we covered this in Acts 20, verse 29. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, also from among yourselves, within the church, 
They're going to come within the body of Christ, speaking perverse things like Cora and company to draw away the disciples after themselves. This is the effect of a dreamer. These are how dreamers work. Let me build upon this. And uh, you're going to see just how in tune Eric is to the spirit here. He quoted this uh, in his opening prayer. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he said, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, you know, when you look at this, when you actually look at this in the Greek, it's, it's a little bit stronger when, when you see that word resists. It actually refers to God literally stands against as though I'm going to war. Okay, so this is almost euphemistic. Not quite there, but it's almost a euphemism. It, it doesn't really capture the, the strength. There is, this is a terrifying situation. When you give in to pride, the only thing you can, you can only see to come at you, the only effect that you're going to get is you're going to go to war with God. You're declaring yourself an enemy of God. That's, that's nuts. I do not want to declare war against God. But when we give in to pride, that's what happens. That's what happens. And then he goes on and says, but gives grace to the humble. What does everyone want in this building? The same thing I do. I want grace. Because I know I failed the Lord in so many ways. And if, if I had to look at my track record, I'm never getting into the kingdom of God. Period. I want grace. I need grace. How do I get that? Humility. I have to embrace the antithesis to pride. I have to embrace humility. The Lord is near to those. What is it? Uh, Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. See, that's mercy, that's grace, that's the blessing, that's the protection, that's the power of the Lord. It comes through total humility. Now, that begs the question, what does that look like? I mean, on a practical level, how do we apply that concept in our lives? What does it look like? Well, it's interesting. James answers. He says, therefore, submit to God. Don't resist his authority. Submit to his authority. This is mind-blowing. Humility, true humility, is you submitting to the authority of God. Oh, but the antithesis to rejecting authority means you're embracing pride. Now we're getting somewhere. Now we understand what is the root. Where is this coming from where you see people so resistant to authority? Pride. Pride has welled up inside, and pride has welled up inside of Korah, inside of all of these men. And this is what has elevated. It's funny. They're accusing Moses of pride, of being arrogant and boastful and self-glorification. That's the very thing they're doing. How demonic is that? You want to talk about delusion. The dreamers do not have a perspective of reality. They are scary people. I mean that. They're destructive. They're, delus they're delusional. They're not operating in humility from a place of humility. They're operating in a place from pride. And I promise you nothing positive will come into your life when you embrace pride. When you puff yourself up, it's over. Pride comes before the fall. And, and what comes before honor? Uh, humility. That's what Proverbs says. See, in other words, again... 
I know your future. I don't need to be a prophet. I just need to go to the word of God and see what the prophets says, see what the Holy Spirit says. If I see a man that's embracing pride, I know where he's going. If he doesn't turn, he's going down. And show me a man who's humble, and I will show you a man that God will lift up. No question about it. Deuteronomy 17, again, showing you how important this is. You shall do according to all the sentence which they pronounce upon you in that place which the Lord chooses. And you shall be careful to do according to all that they order you. The backdrop here is this. If you've got an issue that can't be dealt with one-on-one, and you're coming, well, you know what? You need to go up to the court. You need to go to the judges. You need to go to the elders. You need to go to the Kohanim and let them decide the case. At which point we read in verse 12. Now, the man who acts presumptuously, it's interesting. When you see that word presumptuously in the Hebrew, I wish I would have put it up here, but it's Zadon. Do you know what it means? Insolent pride, arrogance. When you see a man who's given over to pride and will not heed the priest who stands to minister there before the Lord or the judge, that man's going to die. See, he would not submit to authority. He would not accept it. He's filled with pride. He's filled with arrogance. He's filled with rebellion. That's what rebellion is. It comes from pride. Unbelievable. You want to talk about perspective, right? I want to close with this verse. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. In other words, the mind of flesh, I love this verse, it's hatred against God. If I embrace the flesh, the mind of flesh, and I think of, you know, I, I think of that conversation that Yeshua had with Satan. When, when Peter came and said, oh, far be it from you, Yeshua, that you should die. He says, get behind me, Satan, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. This is a demonic mindset. It's always on the flesh. And that is hatred against God. But here's the thing. Paul goes to clarify what it means to have hatred against God. He says, it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Will not submit. I reject the authority of God. This is, this is the proud. This is the arrogant. They will not acknowledge the Torah. And that's why when you look at the Christian church right now, you should be terrified. You should be mourning. You should be grieving. Because you've got Christians running around saying, I'm not going to listen to you. You're going to tell me about the Torah. You want to talk about the word of God. All that stuff is antiquated. That's not for us anymore. I'm all about grace. That scares me. We have dreamers amongst us. We're in a generation of dreamers. We're going to close here today. The music team can come back up.